hear the word of the Lord. Haggai chapter 1, verse 12 and following. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people showed reverence to the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. Let us pray. We love you, O Lord, and we love this blessed word that you have given unto us, and we pray that as we see this example of those who have heeded the word that you have given by your prophet Haggai, help us to emulate, to imitate the obedience of these saints. Help us, we pray, to have a heart of obedience in heeding your word, in fearing you, but ultimately rejoicing first and foremost that you are God who is with us, for we pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. In our day, there is a great misunderstanding in the modern church about what it means for God to abide with us. Um, and I think that there is a, a notion of what obedience to the Lord ought to look like. And sometimes looks are deceiving. If you were, uh, well, I guess we'd go back quite a while to the time of the life of Jesus... If you were among the, the leadership of the people of God, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, the high priests, and you were among the leadership of those people, you would think, well, they are the holy people of God. Um, but looks, again, were deceiving. Um, they were religious, yes. They knew scripture, yes. But as we found out um, in the Gospels, that their hearts were far from the Lord. Um, they had an outward obedience again, but their hearts were far from God. Likewise, many today are mistaken about the nature of what it means for God to bless us. God, to bless us means material things. God's going to bless you with homes and finances and cars and things. This health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. That's what it means for God to bless you. And many false teachers proclaim this, and they're terribly mistaken, because what they're doing is they're teaching something that leaves out the most important teachings of Holy Scripture. That we are sinners in desperate need of Jesus Christ as Savior. And this teaching that they're giving is leaving that out. It's playing it down as we get to today's text, we notice that this is a beautiful prophecy um, given by Haggai, a very brief book. It happened over a period of 15 weeks, and the primary reason was for the people to rebuild the temple. They had been given a commission to do so. Uh, keep your place in Haggai, and let's turn back to Second Chronicles 36. If you ever want to remember 
the background of Haggai, remember the close of Second Chronicles is the reason why we have this book of Haggai. So Second Chronicles 36, last uh, two long verses there. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout his kingdom and also put in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever there is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. So they did. Many answered the call. Many went to Jerusalem to return to inhabit the land, and they laid the foundation of the temple. After about a period of four years of their effort of rebuilding the temple, they had opposition from some um, Gentiles, some pagans in the, in the community, and that it, they were caused to stop. But after 14 years after that stopping, there was no outward objection or opposition necessarily, but they never restarted. Well, if we look back in the beginning of this chapter, um, the reason was the people had misplaced priorities. They were more concerned about making their homes look nice, using the resources of, of material and, and skill to beautify their homes, yet they never began to go back and rebuild the temple. So that's why we have this prophecy of Haggai. God was sending Haggai to tell them it's time to rebuild. And they heeded God's voice. And yes, we have this beautiful response in verses 12 through 15. The main focus for today's text is that God wants us to observe and to seek obedience, the blessings of obedience to him. God wants us to observe this this example of obedience and the blessings, the blessings it brings, but also that we are to seek obedience and its blessings. We'll look at this in two main uh, points, true obedience, and then secondly, true blessings. True obedience is found beginning in, verses, uh, in verse 12, actually. Uh, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. So today, notice in this text that there are some marks of obedience, but it was something that was more than just the covenant people of God. It was the magistrate, the governor there, um, Zerubbabel, the governor, but also Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the people. So it was the common people. It was the priesthood or the religious order, but it was also the rulers. And I think um, there are times where we, people want to make an absolute separation of church and state to a point where they think God is to be left out of the realm of the state. But I believe that what we have here is an example of a revival that involved the magistrate, 
that involved the church of the day and involved everyone in the common people. Um, this was a great turning. And I think today, in our day, we should pray that God would turn those rulers of the nations to himself. And that's what uh, we have in Psalm 2. Let's turn to Psalm 2. Psalm 2. It begins by mentioning in Psalm 2, verse 1, about the nations being in an uproar and the nations counseling together against the anointed. That's talking about the coming Messiah. Um, Verse 3, they would say, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. And then um, we skip down to uh, verse 7. I will surely tell you of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Talking about the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that he not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. That's something we should pray for our rulers, that they would heed the warnings of Scripture, that they would humble themselves, that they would do homage to the Son, Jesus Christ. And again, um, when we pray, we always try to pray for the church. We try to pray for our needs, but we also pray for the country, for the nation, for the world, for the leaders. An example of that was in, is in First Timothy 2. Um, actually, we could keep our place and then turn there. First Timothy 2, a good example of how we ought to pray for leaders. First Timothy 2, 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. We pray for rulers. We pray, I think today's text here in in 2 Timothy, I mean 1 Timothy 2, says that we should pray for their salvation, that they come to a knowledge of salvation through Jesus Christ, and that they would heed and kiss the Son. What's, What's sort of strange is that it's the height of arrogance if, according to Psalm 2, if God ordains them, and he has, God ordains them to rule, but they want to shake off the authority of God upon themselves. And that's why we really need to pray that God would humble them and uh, bring them 
Uh, again, the reason why we want to pray for, for rulers is because we want a peaceful and quiet life that allows for the gospel to, to flourish. We want the freedom to worship, and we want them to allow that to continue. Getting back to Haggai, um, notice it, sa- it says that Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, obeyed the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord sent him. Uh, the, re- the religious leaders of the day changed their priorities and listened to the prophet, and, and God blessed them. Um, the religious leaders of our day as well need to heed the word of the Lord. Now, there's two main problems I want to mention that goes on even in modern society, that people don't want to listen to the word of the Lord, and one is theological liberalism. They take what God has said in his holy word and they twist it and they try to make the Bible fit something of a secular worldview. That's, an, that's just one of many examples of theological liberalism that is a compromise in not hearing the word of the Lord. Secondly, um, they want to uh, have some, have a watered-down, seeker-friendly gospel. In other words, make people feel excited, make people feel welcome. But don't talk too much about sin or don't talk too much about the need to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus because maybe that's not going to be as attractive. Um, Those are two areas of compromise that happens in the modern church. So the the thing is that there is no fear of the Lord. If they feared the Lord, they would not compromise on twisting and turning and warping the the word of, of God. And if they truly feared the Lord, they wouldn't water it down to the point of watering down the the absolute only way of salvation that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we need today is what they had, which is the fear of God. Notice at the end of verse 12, it says, The people showed reverence for the Lord. That's the New American Standard Translation, but other translations use the fear of God. Um, in other words, I think that's probably absolutely the, uh, the more common translation. Fear rather than reverence. I think reverence is a, a little bit more of a watered-down uh, word there. Now, there are notions where people say, well, of course, we, we talk about the fear of the Lord in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, we don't talk about the fear of the Lord because... God is love in the New Testament. He's not a God of fear, they say, right? Well, important passage it mentions in, in Hebrews 12 is that God is a consuming fire. He still ought to be feared. Um, you, you look at who Jesus shows himself to be in the book of Revelation. It's an awesome vision of the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. And John fell down as dead before him. That's a God that is worthy of being feared. Now, again, people say, oh, well, perfect love casts out fear. Well, there's, there's not a fear of judgment among the true believer because we know that Christ, through the perfect love of God, has received the curse of the law for us. So we don't have to fear eternal judgment, but we still fear him as a father, a holy father who can still discipline and chastise us, even as children. 
The fruit of the godly fear mentioned in Haggai's day, though, is that it says in verse 14, this godly fear was used of God and them receiving the word of God, that God stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. They were stirred up. It's an interesting little illustration for what God often needs to do for us. Think about stagnant water in a pond. I don't know if you, anyone has ever had stagnant water in a, in a body of, of water. It, it kind of gets stinky and foul. You got to keep it stirred up to keep it from getting stagnant and foul. And that's kind of what we need uh, in the church. The fear of the Lord in verse 14 caused them to take action. They came, and it says, they began work on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Let's look next at the true blessings that they received when they began their work in obedience to the word of the Lord. Verse 13 says, Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. As they began the work, God says, I'm going to be with you in this work. I'm going to abide with you. And that might sound familiar in the gospel. Jesus Christ came as God with us. Some people call this, even in, even in Haggai, the Emmanuel principle. Of course, we, we find it in the prophecy of Isaiah, who foretold of the coming of Jesus Verse 13 says, I am with you, declares the Lord. This notion of God's abiding with his people is huge, not only in the Old Testament, but in the New as well. During the days of Moses, God instructed the people to rebuild or to begin building the tabernacle. He gave them an image or a vision of how to do it, and they began the work, and that was to represent the abiding presence of God with them, that God would pitch his tent among the people is, is the way you kind of, you, you visualize it. As Israel prepared to enter the promised land, he told uh, the word of the Lord through Joshua, he says, be strong and courageous, do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God was going to be with them in everything that they did. He was going to abide with them. He was going to stay with them. He was going to help them. He was going to be with them. As they came to conquer nations and kingdoms, they did so because God was with them. As they faced mighty men, the mighty men feared before the people of Israel because God was with them. Because God was with them, the walls of Jericho fell down when the trumpet sounded and the shout came out. Because God was with them, he gave them the promised land that was promised long ago to Abraham. In the same way, in this obedience mentioned in the book of Haggai, the building of the temple was going to be something that they were going to do. They were going to rebuild the temple, and God was going to be with them in that effort. But ultimately, this second temple could not be the absolute assurance of God's presence. Go back even to the, I mean, this temple was kind of not nearly 
it was not nearly of the glory of the first temple. The first temple, temple that Solomon built was a grand, beautiful, glorious building decked with so much gold it was amazing to see. And those who saw the foundation of this one, they wept because they remembered the first temple. But even then, this second temple, neither the tabernacle nor the first temple nor the second temple, none of it could give us the ultimate full presence of God with his people. Remember when Solomon had that first temple, uh, he prayed this beautiful prayer. He said that the heavens and even the highest heavens cannot contain you, O Lord. How much less this house that I've built. No temple, no earthly building can, can really assure us of God's abiding presence. Just as the temple, the tabernacle, both temples, they were all a type and shadow pointing to something far greater than a mere building. It was pointing to the person of Christ. Isaiah 7 says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. A virgin shall conceive and bear a child and shall call him Emmanuel, God with us. That's the fulfillment of the promise of God's abiding with us when he says, I am with you, declares the Lord. In John 1, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the the Greek there is that he pitched his tent. The word became flesh and pitched his tent to dwell among us in the person of Jesus Christ. So yes, God promises to be with us as he promised to the people of Haggai's day in rebuilding the kingdom. And it's not just, it's not just these people that were called to, to build a temple. We are called to build the kingdom of the Lord. We are to seek first his kingdom. And, and whatever we do, seek to, to build up the house of the Lord, the people of the Lord, to serve God's holy people. If you're a Christian by faith in Jesus Christ, God will never leave you nor forsake you. If you have faith in Christ, whether it's trial, by sword, by sickness, by illness, whatever it may be, God has promised never to leave you nor forsake you. He will abide with you and he will give you an everlasting inheritance as he has promised through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's promised to abide with you in this life and in the life to come. Verse 14 again shows the the true blessing of obedience there. Verse 14. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. Going back to verse 13, I am with you, declares the Lord. So as we look at the blessings of obedience, God says that we must have a true obedience from the heart with a sincere faith and that God will bless that. He will bless that sort of obedience. Again, 
if you're to have true obedience, it must be rooted not just in a fancy of who God is, but you must have a sincere fear of the Lord. You can both fear God and love God. Um, You can fear a heavenly Father who has power and might to discipline you, but also you know He's worth loving because He sent His only Son to die for you. He can be both feared and loved. But in doing so, uh, as mentioned in today's text, this revival that we found of this true obedience was not something that just involved the church. It involved the rulers. It involved, yes, the leadership of the church, but it also involved the lay people of of the people of Israel, of Judah, actually. And that's the thing we should pray for. We should pray for God's blessing upon the leadership of the church. We should pray for God's work and blessing upon the magistrate, upon the rulers, but we should pray even for each and every one within the, the, the church as well. And also, when we have that level of obedience and fearing the Lord, God gives us true blessings in this life through Christ. He has promised to be with us through giving us His only Son, Jesus, but also the Comforter. You've been given that Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who will never leave a true believer. He will abide with us. He will help you, and He will always keep you focused upon the word of the Lord and upon Jesus Christ, God with us, Emmanuel. Again, apart from Christ, you can do nothing. Apart from Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, you can do nothing. Unless you abide in him, you can bear no fruit and you can have no blessing. Do you abide in him? Do you love him and trust him? Let us pray. We do thank you, our blessed Lord, that you have given us Jesus Christ as Emmanuel, your beloved Son, God with us. We thank you for the promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that you will be with us, that we can be strong and courageous because you go with us to protect us and guide us. Lord, abide with us. And Lord, help us to abide in you, to be rooted by a sincere faith in that wonderful, blessed Jesus Christ, our Lord. Give us your Holy Spirit, your comforter, that abiding presence, the Spirit of Christ who dwells in us. Lord, help us, we pray, to grow forth, um, to bear much fruit, but also to receive the blessings that you've promised for your people and for a nation, Lord, that loves and serves you. Lord, bless our nation as well. Turn the people of this nation, both leaders and citizens, away from sin and false teaching and the traditions of men and turn them to your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. For we ask these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, let's turn to 493 savior teach me day by day 493 let's let's stand and sing 493